Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Uh, We're going to talk about finances today, but we're going to talk more specifically to those of you who have recently retired or are contemplating retirement in the not-too-distant future. It is a wild west out there in terms of the economy. So, So in a time like this, we ask ourselves, who can we turn to to give us a little better understanding of these forces at work in the economy? You know, there's talk of a recession, um, there's inflation, and then, of course, we have these international issues such as a war that threatens to enlarge. So there's lots of things going at work, and we know that many of you are at a point in your life where you're thinking about going ahead and pulling the trigger, retiring, and you're wondering, gee, how do I make plans for that? So uh, who better to have on than Brenton Daring? a well-known financial planner, certified financial planner. Can you tell us a little more about Brent? And he's also the founder and the president of Wealth Ambassadors. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is Brent's first time on the show. So um, all we expect is is utter precision in terms of forecasting <laughs> nice. all future events. You have to have that crystal ball. Yeah, so our, our expectations are low, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I... I do think it's always, of course, hard to prognosticate uh, financial planners, you know, struggle with that. But, you know, it people have to make decisions. So you guys are kind of forced in, I'll use the phrase, the fog of war. The fog of war to make decisions, though, you know, you're not exactly sure what you're shooting at or you're not always positive of what's going to happen. But you have to gather data and make intelligent calls. One thing that's helped me over the last 10, 15 years is I started looking for independent analysts that I could pay or find um, data from that would help me look at the principles of the economy and principles of the market. So that has significantly helped to predict trends. Well, what I like about you as a planner is that I would say that you're less a sales guy than a numbers guy, an analytic guy. You know, the, the, the sales people, you know, they're, they're always winsome and they inspire confidence. But at the end of the day, it's the person who's really analytical. Right. And who's and prepared. doing their homework. Yeah. Sit yeah. down and, and look at the charts and crunch the numbers. And that's, that's your style. Yeah, I've spent thousands of hours uh, studying why the markets do what they do in in certain times. And so we'll, we can talk about that. In well, let's, chart. okay, so let's start, I guess, um, from 30,000 feet or so. Okay. You know, we have Powell, who is the Fed chairman, and he's announced that he's really committed to increasing rates, mm-hmm. uh, may even go to three-quarter point increases. Um, we got one recently. Last week, Right. Highest since, what, the 90s? Yeah, and meanwhile, there are, though there's still a low unemployment rate, there still seems to be lots of clouds in the sky regarding retail sales. Um, There there seems to be an economy that is going to be slowing down, according to these surveys they do of CEOs. A survey just in the last week or so showed that a substantial majority say that they believe their businesses are going to be slowing down. So when you put these those two forces together, raising interest rates and, and inflation, what do you see for the broadest market over the next, what should we say, year? So f- broadest market from the economy? It- yeah, from the U.S. economy. I'm betting that most of the people watching this, I would say that most of their investments are probably in securities, U.S. securities, or at least companies based in the U.S., mm-hmm. And I think probably a few in real estate. You can comment on real estate if you want. But but what what do you say to clients when they're at the point they're thinking about retiring and they're wondering, boy, with this budget I have, how will I be over the next well, – let's start with the near future yeah, rather than so the long future. Yeah, so from a 30,000-foot standpoint, you look at 
what, what could cause a recession? And so there's several factors. One is the yield curve inverting. When you think about the last 50 years, this is a chart of all the recessions that have happened previously. The yield curve inverting means that the two-year treasury rate is paying higher than the 10-year treasury rate. Which is and not, that's unusual. That's it not be normal. That right. right. So if you look at any previous time when that has happened, a recession happens within six months. Without exception Correct. on this chart. Correct. Even mm. with COVID, which no one predicted COVID, no. yet the yield curve inverted before COVID. So you look at what's going on. That yield curve inverted several months ago. Now, now talk to our, our viewers about why it would be true that when people look at interest rates, they expect a lower rate in the future than they do in the present. Normally, people would say, if I won't give you my money for the next 30 years, you have to pay me a really high rate. Well, it's more a combination of market rates and the Fed raising rates. So it's not necessarily someone saying, here's my money, give me a rate for the future. This is all predicted on what the Fed's doing, what the market is adjusting based on what the Fed's doing. But what does it mean, though, when the market is saying, though, uh, I, I need to have a higher interest rate or there needs to be a higher interest rate for money now. Mm-hmm. But no, we wouldn't expect a very high interest rate in the longer future. Why is that a signal that things are not good? It's because the Fed held interest rate at a zero interest rate policy for seven years in a time where right after the great financial crisis of 2008, they basically kept it at zero for seven years. It was harming retirees. Yeah. Then they raised it slightly to less than 3%. And then with COVID, they completely took it back to zero again. And it's been the, just recently is when they started raising rates. So- it's messed up the whole the, the whole investment community, uh, like bonds. So when rate, interest rates rise, the value of a bond decreases because if you're getting 2% on your bond and they just now raised it three-fourths of a percent and someone can get 2.75 on their bond, your bond is not worth as much. Yeah. So what I'm gathering you're saying, a recession is imminent in your opinion. Oh, for sure. So thank the, you for bringing us back to the point. <laughs> yeah, the, well, yeah. So that's one indicator. I get caught up in all these details of what you're saying, and <laughs> Jill's Jill's here for this purpose. <laughs> I cut to the chase, right? <laughs> no, that's that's good. So so wait. So your answer is that you agree that there's a recession on the horizon, for and prob- sure. probably not the distant horizon. You're talking about a recession. What by the end of this year? Do you think? So the Fed showed that the first quarter decreased by 1.9%. You were talking about the CEOs talking about how the economy Mm -hmm. is slowing for them. Last week, the Fed lowered guidance for the second quarter to 0% from 0.9 to 0. It will surprise me if they let that go negative because a recession is two quarters negative in a row. That will not look good politically with a election coming and, up here. And we're going to be wow. hearing about the end of this second quarter soon. We'll be yeah, getting that in, report. in July. And then if that is negative, then— I, don't, I almost feel like somehow they're going to pull a rabbit out of the hat or something. Yeah, like, but, but if it were, you agree, it, then we'd have an official correct. recession. But it is a little scary, the opportunities to play with the math uh, politically. I mean, there's such— Stakes. I mean, the, the Democratic Party, we try not to be too partisan on here, but the Democratic Party has so much riding on, sure. on this economy being decent by the time November rolls around. Right. So look at what happens in a recession. Historically, stock market drops 20 to 50 percent. We're already down 20. So if we hit the official recession, I expect easy 10 to 30 percent more drop in the stock markets. Historically, yeah, depends how bad of a recession it is, how protracted it is. So, from that standpoint, it's assessing how much risk you have, and you know the timing of retirement. So, to, yeah, to pull from that trough. And, and I'm going to try not to get too academic here, but I can't resist. Yeah. I can't resist asking you this question. Okay, you studied, I know, and some of our viewers have studied the fact that 
you know, the idea that any assets value, we all study this in our classes in, in finance or probably accounting, is that any assets value is the present value of what's projected on the future cash flows. Yes. So it's supposed to be taking the stream of money you think you'll have in the future from an asset, and it could just be a, a lump sum in the future that you're going to sell it, and bringing that back, discounting it to, on a rate based on a market rate of interest. So the effect of that math, trust me on this, uh, the effect of that math means that the, the lower the interest rate, then the effect is it increases the value of the asset in the future. That seems odd, but if you do the math, it does. So when you have low interest rates, it really magnifies the asset's value in the future because right. low interest you know, is okay. So it means that an, a, an asset that otherwise would not have much value suddenly has a lot because it's okay that it makes very little money. And, and then when you raise interest rates, the, the mathematical effect on that, that valuation is huge. I mean, if you double the interest rate, I assume that this math works right. If you double the interest rate, you'd probably cut in half the value of an asset in the future. Well, we've more than doubled the interest rates from, from the value that the, that the stock market had given these assets for 10 years. So, I mean, ever since, you know, we had this huge easing beginning in 09, I guess. So... So why is it not true then that based on what you and I studied in in college and business classes, why then is it not true that the market now with an interest rate two times as high and maybe three uh, from it will be three? Say it gets to three percent. That's over three times what the interest rate's been for the last ten years essentially for for the Fed. Right. Or I call it just double. Then why would it not mean that that the value of these assets should be properly now half their value? In other words, there should be a fifty percent drop in valuations. Why does that not well, work? I think the stimulus packages that they're doing. I mean, the Fed has gone from literally. Let's. I mean, I have the chart here. He's going to give me a technical answer for this. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. I don't want to get academic here, but just tell me, does that seem to make sense to you, or or do you think that— I think the Fed is—I mean, with it literally where there are less than a trillion of assets on the Fed's balance sheets before 08, and then they went to $3 trillion, and then—really uh, to $2 trillion. They doubled after 08, yeah. and then they had built up to like $3.5 trillion before— the those are um, huge numbers. Co- yeah. COVID I can't number. even comprehend. It's gone from three point five to nine, right? Just under nine trillion. That means they've been stimulating buying government bonds. So they've they've what would be textbook your discussion of lowering values because of higher the yeah. raising of interest rates. It's kind of changed because of their stimulus of buying things that normally they oh, wouldn't be able to buy. could push up the values. Right. Right. It's it's hmm. artificially propped up, in other words, in a Any, way that it's not supposed to be. So, look, if you didn't understand the details of any of this, and I understood very little, but the bottom line is it ain't good, right? <laughs> in technical, well, in technical well, English, it ain't good, right? Well, it's suspect, for so sure. so then you think there's probably going to be a recession. I do. And uh, and it's probably going to kick in by the end of the year. So if the, if they don't let the second quarter go negative, then it'll have to be in uh, the third and fourth year. Third and fourth quarter. Right. Or into pushing into next year. So so what do you tell then your uh clients when you know there's this acronym Tina. Right. Uh, there's no alternative. Think right. about that. That's an acronym. It's called TINA. Right. And, and the point of it is this idea that really if you're going to invest assets and you're not going to run a business, and even real estate's kind of running a business, then what can you do but invest in the stock market? The idea is that no one can put it anywhere else, maybe bonds, but the point is you're still in security. So, and many people are scared of bonds. So, so this thing called Tina, doesn't that mean that you're... There's no other alternative. So like the Fed has kind of put so much money into the markets that's propped it up. So that's helped the investor. The question is now the Fed's painted themselves into a corner where they have to raise interest rates to get inflation under control. 
So you look at January 2021, inflation was at 1.4%. December, it was at 7%. That's a five-fold increase in 2021. And then you look at it's now 8.6. So, But it was transient. Right. right. Well, that was the language that the government, the Fed was using, that it was transient or temporary, which is complete junk. It's like the Fed said in 08 that subprime was contained. It's like, yeah, right. That, that worked out really, really well. <laughs> Everybody thought that those those collateralized securities were safe. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it turns it out there was a bunch didn't... of junk inside of the AAA quality paper. Well, right. I mean, it turns out when your house is underwater— uh, people conclude, well, why should I continue to stay here and, and try to make payments? Right. So uh, then, then when you're talking to your clients, mm-hmm. uh, they probably are going to stay in some sort of securities, probably sure. equities, I assume. Right. Well, there's cycles. So if you look at recessions, certain assets do better in recessions. And then as you – so in the early cycle of recession, you look at more energy – and um, uh, healthcare, utilities, finance. Show us that. Does that graph sure. show this? This. So yes. So, uh, so what, what assets? So are we're good? in the early cycle. Would be here. Um, so the early cycle of the recession would be healthcare, utilities, and finance. And then the late cycle would be finance, technology, and cyclicals. So then give me an example then of what a portfolio you would lean toward with a client now. We think about utilities. Here's the challenge, though. They're raising interest rates, so utilities get hit when they raise interest rates. Because they're fixed. Right. So it's a unique dynamic here. We're having inflation. They're having a raising interest rate environment. It's really stagflation like the 70s. So some things I'm looking at and— um, people don't tend to think about this as precious metals. So historically, people think, oh, precious metals is a dead asset. Yet mm-hmm. you look at the last 20 years, and it actually has outperformed the stock market with less risk. Are you talking about like gold? Gold, silver, silver. those types of but, things. But they could buy, gold could be bought as an ETF. Sure. For example, you're sure, not saying it. somebody has to buy physical gold. Correct. I mean, but you but could. It, I mean, yet most time, if someone has an IRA or a, a brokerage account, you can buy an ETF with physical gold. So, but yet, isn't it frustrating though that as we've seen this inflation, we all would have predicted. I would have predicted at least mm-hmm. uh, that gold would have started going up last July with this inflation, uh, you know, gaining momentum, and it, it it it's gone up some, but right. it really it's more it's more. A lag. So you look at in um, 67-ish to 71, gold dropped 12.5%. Then it went up from 70 to 80, 1,600%. Because you see what happened with inflation in the 70s. So, and in 2000, gold dropped 25%. And then from 2000 to 2011, it went up 660%. Hmm. So if you look at, remember that I talk about $2 trillion that the Fed and the government pumped into the markets right. to, to fix the 2008 crisis? The money primarily was on the bank balance sheets and kind of buying mortgages, basically, to, yeah. to protect. Um, yeah, a lot of mortgages. But apparently they are better than the mortgages of 08, <laughs> Well, so what, do we, what has happened since uh, covid you look at what's happened since COVID. So at least the the Fed balance sheet has gone up five trillion there, and you know that checks were sent out with the government was easy four trillion. So there's nine trillion. Yeah, and so that's their current balance sheet. That's right? just current. So we're talking. It's been five times more stimulus with COVID than oh, the 08 crisis, which is supposed to have been the worst crisis since the Great Depression. And everybody was shocked at the amount of money printing going on then. Correct. Right. And gold so went up 600. what is that for right now? It's going to be worse? Well, but, but— Gold is saying—remember, gold went up 660% after the $2 trillion of stimulus. Right. We've had 10-plus trillion of stimulus. So what, you think gold is poised for a— Big a lunge forward. It is easy twenty five hundred to three thousand. The timing is always the trouble because, like, I mean, 
Greenspan is on record of saying that if the price of gold rises too much, we'll lease our gold out, which suppresses the price. I mean, it's so it's uh, it's it's really challenging to when governments manipulate and the central banks, which is separate because they're really the the Fed is not a, the legal part of the government. They're contracted, if you will, to represent us, and so it's supposed so supposed to be this checks and balances. Yet they're doing things that, in my mind, is not good for you. Saw they get out of out of control with inflation here because they. Kept saying, "Oh, it's just temporary." Yeah. Yet, we we see how much we're paying at the pump. We see how much we're spending on food. But oh yeah. They, they there's a uh, analyst in the '80s, kind of alerted the financial newspapers. This is um, going to show the CPI increases um, since 1980. They changed the government changed the formula such that. If you went on the current formula that they did, you like CPI would, would be that you'd want to know what the standard of living has increased to. Yeah, for the average person. For the average person. Mm-hmm. They changed the formula and started manipulating how they measured it so that if it was under the 1980 formula, we'd be at 17% inflation instead of the 86 and, and that's really what it feels like. I mean, yeah. If, Right. If we all talk about what's happening um, with prices, I mean, you hear double digits uh, from people selling particular products like people selling pools, especially in labor. Yes. I mean, there's no way that that jobs – think of all the jobs you know of, people coming to your house to do things. Do you think there's been an 8% increase in what those guys are paid? No, a lot more. This this just shows the key things of – Utilities, uh, gasoline, food, and electricity of a 25% increase, just those items, year over year. So it's – you hate to say, like, what are they shielding us from yet? uh, When I've – because I've developed all of these independent analysts that are showing the real figures or the – helping to realize how much – all the debt has ballooned or the Fed balance sheets have increased. It's, I mean, this is actually on the Fed website. Well, and, and here's something a lot of people don't know. Uh, in order to to determine what the real estate factor is, mm-hmm. they, they arrive at that through the back door. So food and energy are the two largest components. They account more than anything else for the what the CPI is doing. The third component is real estate, and the way they get there is that they do a. It's called um, homeowners projected. That's not the word. It's, that's used. it's as if they were renting their house from themselves. Yeah. So and what they would pay pay to rent their own house. So yeah. What so what we're saying is the way that the number is determined about what's happened with real estate, the third largest component of of the CPI, is that they do a survey where they call homeowners and say, if you were going to rent out your house, what would you rent it for? Now, does, now unless somebody's thinking about renting their house, how would you have any idea what you would rent it for? You wouldn't. Right. And you'd probably be low, incidentally. So whether it's high or low, and it's low, we one thing we can be sure of, it isn't accurate, right? Uh, and 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 just the, it seems that that cannot be an honest attempt to answer that question. It sounds like an honest attempt to keep that component as low as it can be, because no one would cost think cost of living on Social Security was like so artificially low for so long, and then they started raising it. It's like yeah. Well, it's like saying that we're going to track the value, the sales value of real estate by calling sellers and asking them what they would take for their house. Not what a buyer would pay, mm. but what a seller would take. It, it's just, it's crazy on its face. Yes. And and yet, it's a huge component in the CPI. Mm-hmm. So then, so tell us more. So you're, you're, we're talking to, we're imagining this hypothetical conversation with a client. I know clients are in different situations. Sure. But this is an older client, we'll assume. Uh, they're thinking about retiring. Uh, they look at all this uncertainty about them, perhaps the prospect of a of a recession soon, 
And uh, you've indicated some of the categories that you would you would guide their their savings toward. Um, and you've mentioned two things. And I think gold. I agree with you. Gold. It's the classic asset, according to economists, that you would yeah, expect about that to go up in value in a recessionary time. It's the classic asset. Now, it's not done it yet, but your theory may very well be the explanation. Well, we're talking large percentages. Even a 5 to 15% per allocation actually increased their return over a 20-year period and decreased their risk. You mean over overall in the past, what, 40 20 years? 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. So, like, here's an example. So, it runs the standard deviation of a 5, 15, or 20% portfolio of, of having gold. It decreases the risk, increases the return. So, it well, makes sense to have something. Okay. I'm so, I mean, I really am. That, that makes sense to me. Uh, so, and you also, though, mentioned a few industries. Uh, utilities, maybe not so much, but what were the other industries you mentioned in your graph? Healthcare. Or? I mean, they're going to keep paying to go to healthcare. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, and, and then, um, fine, well, it depends when we're towards the bottom of the recession. So that's not in the early stages. The right. early stage would be a, a clear category to be healthcare. Right. Something else that, that would be recession-proof, uh, I guess, would it be like the food industry? That or the low-cost retailers, like a Dollar Tree, yeah. like a, those, there'd be... Dollar General Dollar or General. More yeah. would be spent at those places. The thing is, with inflation, they the, they had to change it from just only being a dollar. Like, <laughs> like right? I mean, because of inflation right now. The $2 store. Oh, it's, well, it's still called Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree, yeah, yeah. right, right. So... Uh, Whenever, whenever you're talking though to the client who is is going to to put money in maybe one of these categories, mm-hmm. um, how do you develop a schedule to know the rate at which they're going to withdraw that? So you you probably so have financial planning software that, and I think that's the key. If someone's looking to retire this year, next year, if they have not stress tested their portfolio to manage through a recession and or higher inflation numbers, then they've seen in the past, it would be like saying, I'm going to go on my most important road trip of my life and not check the gas, how much gas you have, not check your, you know, have you checked the tires? Have you checked right. the oil? I mean, get a checkup at the, you on know. On the front the, end. Right. And, and the, 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 what you call a stress test just means that, that you, you look at their circumstances mm-hmm. and the amount of money they have, how risk-prone they are. Some people Correct. are more risk-takers, I guess, than others. Correct. And you play out the, the probable scenarios. The software runs a Monte Carlo simulation of 10,000 different variations that could happen with the economy and the markets. And so it would show, would that cause a severe downturn for them? if they're withdrawing in those scenarios. It, but it doesn't give an equal value to each of those probabilities. In other words, some probabilities are greater than others, right? right. It's not 10,000 that are equal. It'll give you a, an average, though, from those scenarios. And if it's a 91% probability, then it's a good chance you're, they're going to be okay to retire. If it's showing low, though... We need to run it at a higher inflation rate to see if that would eat into, I mean, because if they're going to stop working after they've been somewhere 30 plus years, good chance they're not going to be able to go back two years from now and get anywhere near the right. the type of income they were making. So they need to make sure it's right. Yeah. And if, even if, I'm not saying they should wait a year or two, yet if the if the software comes out and says you either have to take less from the portfolio or you need to wait longer. I, I'm not saying that that tells them they should not do it. Yet it at least is a, a talking point, right? But, but don't you don't you feel though obliged to reach into these ten thousand scenarios mm. and to say these are the ones that I think are more probable? And sure. I, I suggest we give those additional weight. For example, you probably believe, and I I believe um, that inflation is going to be here for a while. And in my case, I believe it's going to be here for a while because uh, I think there are demographic factors at work mm-hmm. and, and that, that suggests that the world for the next 20 years is not going to be the deflationary world we've had in the last 20, where costs, believe it or not, 
have generally, the world's gotten more affordable through globalization, costs have gone down for products. Uh, believe it or not, even some cars now are less expensive than they were 20 years ago. Maybe not today, but... You We've know, been up. in a deflationary environment, so it tends to go for a seven to 10-year cycle. So we're about to hit I believe, an inflationary cycle that will go five well, to and, seven to ten years. And that's a different reasoning. But we both end up the same conclusion that – and if you believe that, that inflation is going to be around for a while, then you can – when you run this, this scenarios, mm -hmm. you, you can, can – raise the inflation rate to see if it's going to be more like the past than, than I think this artificial low – 2% number that they keep yeah. coming up with. Brent, let me ask you something. Um, with these challenging economic times, are, do, are you having clients that maybe were thinking about retiring this year or next year saying, uh, I might want to hold off? Not when I've run their financial scenario. I mean, I've not had anyone say I'm not going to retire. They just need to be clear on their expectations of this is what I was expecting to make on a annualized basis right and on in today's dollars so if that's if we run it at four percent inflation five percent inflation at, and it's it's still workable that's the key versus saying oh the economy could really blow up it can yet that doesn't it depends what you're they're in as well but like you said the inflation you know a recession could last up to a decade uh, years. Yeah. Historically, the last ones have been years. Right. I would I mean, say it. I'm the one who said a decade. He's saying like seven years, right? Well, uh, there's not been one recently that's lasted seven years, yet that doesn't mean we won't. So uh -huh. the question is, do they prop it up like 08? Because that probably would have been much uh, longer I had saw, they not thrown trillions at it. I have to tell you, I saw this guy the other day on CNBC. And CNBC is not famous for the biblical knowledge of their of their <laughs> uh, interviewers, and so this was a he was a, a really sharp guy. He's a fund manager. I wish I could give him credit for this. Anyway, he was a fund manager, and uh, they they asked him. He said, "Well, what do you think?" And he said, "He said I feel a little like I've been having Pharaoh's dream." <laughs> and, oh wow! And so, uh, you know. It, it, that seven I good years, the, then seven bad years. The, yeah. the, the interviewer had this blank look. Like, like what's he know, talking about? Didn't know what to say. What's fair? And, uh, and so he explained, and some of you may not know this, but I know some of you do, and that was that, that you know, Joseph you know, was in prison, the Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh had these dreams. And so Joseph ends up getting to interpret these dreams and it kind of leads to his restoration whatnot. Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Uh, and the dream was, as you said, seven bad, seven, seven good, good years. years. Followed by seven, seven bad. bad. Right. right. And they so. put aside 20% in the seven good years to have enough for the seven bad years. So that, There you go. Yeah. So that's, I mean, very clear importance of setting aside in the good years, working mm -hmm. years. Right. And really, we have had, though people have complained the last 10 years, we've had a bull market for... Yes. Yeah. Know, I mean, it's just really been a good 10 years. And mm -hmm. it might have been that it was funded with artificial, you know, yes. uh, sugar, meaning that, that we, we did. Sweet and low. We, yeah, we did have 0% interest, which is artificial by any historical standard. Free money. Yes. But but for us to say that we had a bad past 10 years, I don't think so. No, no. I don't think so either. No. Uh, but... Now may be a time when, not that it'll be terrible, but I think that you and I agree that I expect the next at least five, maybe seven years to not be so good, not really terrible. That, what, how long do you think the recession part, historically, how long does a recession last? Years, historically. Plural years. Yes, yes, typically years. The The COVID months was not normal. No, I mean, that's an aberration thing. I, I mean, think. that's because they started throwing trillions at it right. immediately. The stimulus packages, right. correct? Checks in the mail. So, so you see a recession lasting lasting for at least two years, maybe three or four. Depends how bad it is. So, if the one of my charts that I'll send, I don't see it here. It's oh, here we go. This is so the consumer sentiment. Um, which shows the worst since 1960. So, which you're talking about the CEOs 
consumers well feel consumers. like they, yeah raw consumers feel like it's costing so much more so they're feeling like it's worse than any time in the last 60 something years wow that's what the numbers are showing that's a pretty good harbinger yeah i mean because you know some could say that you know an inflationary spiral is entirely a psychological phenomenon now milton friedman would say it's a monetary phenomenon but but you know in other words uh, inflation is driven by expectations, right? Human mm-hmm. beings' yes. expectations. And if they expect prices to go higher, guess what? They get higher. I mean, by virtue of everyone participating in that assumption. Right. And if even if we know a recession is coming, it's not saying everything's going to hell in a handbasket. It's yeah. saying be wise. Like if you have discretionary dollars, preserve those and save in a time when others may be losing their jobs. So, I mean, yeah. So, and that's an important point you made is that, you know, I'm by no means doom and gloom. And no. I know you're not. No. And your whole purpose is to give your clients a plan for success and have peace through the storm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the way to view this is, you know, even when there's a recession, there are ways that you can get a good return. Um, that's interesting, the point you made about gold, and I, I buy that argument. I have to ask you about this. Uh, what do you think about digital assets? What do you think yeah. about crypto? So I, in my mind, crypto is has done really, really well to really last fall. And then since then, it's down about six. Some are down 100% because, like, it's just funny money that someone creates whatever name of a throw the dart, uh, the dart against the wall and name it something weird. And, and it, the people that make them have thousands, tens of thousands of percent return. They get out. The people coming in after them, it's almost like a Ponzi scheme on some yeah. of these. And there was like 20,000 of them at one point. Some of those crazy ones are completely going bust. The bitcoins. I mean, if you think of, there's this analysis of that it's a store of value like gold. I don't agree with that. I believe it's a competitor to the Fed or any of the central banks, because if if there's trillions outside of the monetary system that someone can say, I have this, and no matter what the Fed does, I have my own money outside. Well. What is the central banks doing right now? They're saying within the next three to seven years, they'll have their own central bank digital currency, which means that Bitcoin or uh, any of the different ones at some point are either regulated, they're taxed, or they're outlawed because it's, in my mind, it's not their system, so that's a competitor to the Fed. Right. They're going to come up with their own. And that's my view. I mean, I just believe that. The whole crypto phenomenon is just this strange. It's uh, like the tech stocks of the 2000s. Yeah. And it's tech like, stocks or tulips. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've allowed for the possibility that I've been wrong when I see people like Peter Thiel, uh, who was founder of PayPal and Palakur and some other prominent kind of billionaire who's smart guy, real smart guy. Uh, and I respect his judgment. And he's spoken well of it. Sure. Uh, so it, it makes could be me, a window where you trade and get in and out. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But, maybe. but it gives me pause. But where I was going is to say that ultimately, I just can't come to terms with it because it I can't see a scenario where it makes sense. Well, it's not going to be what everyone transacts in five, no. ten years from now. Yeah. And so it's the people that want some system that they can protect against what the Fed's doing that's the only reason they did it, to put money aside to get out of the system so that they could hopefully grow. But that can't last. Correct. Mm-mm. You cannot go up tens of thousands of percent, and it's it's like now the people coming in in hopes that they'll make 100%, and then they're down 67 70%. Right. It's look, just not stable. And, right. But, and, but the thing is that you can have cults last for a while, like the Robin Hood thing, yes. GameStop, and— is GameStop AMC and all these different yeah, ones? Is GameStop right. still? It's still there. Okay. I mean, they weren't making money, so all these people were hedged against it. And then when the 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 people wanted to like pump yeah. it up to get against the hedge funds, what's so crazy is the the broker dealers like 
blocked the individual investors to let the hedge funds out, which is... Yeah, I remember uh, that. That was controversial when that happened. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, they don't come I had to some the, clients lose on that. Really? Because they were wanting to buy it. I, I was not interested. You were not encouraging no, it, I hope. No, that's all totally no. speculation. Yeah. But, but you know, that, those are examples of things where you can get a crowd, mm-hmm. the sort of madness of crowds. Uh, you can get a crowd behind it, and it's right. sustained for quite a while. I mean, for maybe years. Sure. And and but it still ultimately uh, collapses, and and that's my assessment of crypto. I may be sitting on here, sitting here at this microphone five years from now, saying, and and if crypto is going strong five years from now, I'll probably say, okay, I I give up. I think it will come and stay, but now I'm still of the opinion it's not going to last. I don't see it. When people ask me, should they put anything in? I say, only put what you're willing to lose because it's that risky. Right. To where even if you put a thousand in and would that harm you to lose a thousand, then don't put it in. Yeah. Hmm. So as we, as we wrap up here, what else would, uh, would you have to say to people who are thinking about retirement, wondering where to invest their money, um, I would also want to to mention before you answer that question, uh, just to make a comment about certified financial planners. People know that I'm a fan of certified financial planners because, um, number one, their training is extensive. I've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. I have a CPA and, and I've looked at the material that you guys study and it's a lot of work. So I decided I wasn't going to do it. But <laughs> I, I respected the people who... Um, who go to the trouble to qualify for it. It requires that you have knowledge in all the domains of personal financial planning. And, uh, and it's, it's, um, it's a rigorous requirement. And it also consists typically of billing hourly. Now, I've not asked you that question, how you're compensated. I can do either yeah. hourly billing or quarterly asset management. Okay, um, and so. quarterly asset management means that... that uh, you take the assets that you're managing, call mm-hmm. it a million dollars. Right. So you charge a percent based on that. Correct. Is it a fixed percent? It is. Okay. Well, it's reducing as the assets grow. The you take less and less. How right. low does it get? Half. Half a percent. Half a percent. I thought you meant half of the money. No, half no. Of- half a, that's, so the, the, and I'm a registered investment advisor, which means I'm a fiduciary that um, I'm held to a standard that I have to do what's best in the clients, both from my CFP ethics as well as the RIA. Um, there's different That's systems. That's kind of new with RIA, isn't it? No. The, or, there's been this two-tiered system in the financial system in the world. Um, you have the broker-dealers, which is under a suitability standard. So initially, once they meet with someone – if it's suitable at the first, they don't have to monitor if it's still right for the at. client five years, ten years from now. Whereas a, an RIA, we're required at all times. And, and again, tell people registered. Registered investment advisor. So the when I, when I started Wealth Ambassadors ten years ago, I only went to that platform because it seems more full of integrity because I have to do what's right all the time, no matter when. But if a client wants to, they can just pay you hourly. Sure. And and it's for the time that, you know, you can look at their portfolio. Or we it. could do that stress test of the financial calculation. That is, I think that is crucial for someone if they're looking at retiring anytime right. soon. So in, in other words, they could, for example, have a, a, um, a regimen in which they meet with you maybe once a year, twice a year, three times a year, and you do an update and, and yes. make suggestions. So uh, I really like that model, and and I think many people think that a stockbroker is the same thing as a financial planner, and no. a stockbroker no. is just licensed to take trades. Now, they still have, what, a Series 7? Do they have to have a Series 7? S- yes. Yeah, there, there's still a designation that they have to have, which means a test and some knowledge, but um, don't confuse that with personal financial planning, uh, and and I think that you know, particularly people as they get ready to retire. It's an important subject that maybe some people would rather not talk about at all. To me, it's always been a fun topic. I always like to talk about financial planning. But for some people, it's like going to the dentist. Mm. You know, they'll do it if they have to, but they don't want to do it any more than they have to. 
Maybe that person should just get pay you to manage their funds, which is the option you mentioned, uh, where you it's based on the amount of money that you're managing. And I work to like educate in a way that clients see the big picture, so that they they're involved. I see the more someone's involved, learning at least key things. Oh yeah. Than just talking to someone and saying whatever you think I ought to do. That's. I mean, that does happen, yet the more someone's engaged, the, they'll see, like, the trends. The more they understand, and you want them right. to Right, and you help Absolutely. them learn, and they get right. excited about, oh, that's why that's happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this education process, I believe, is more valuable to the client so that they feel at peace. So then let me come back to that question that I interrupted before you answered. Um, <laughs> okay. It, so you um, anything that you would say then to people just— kind of parting thoughts. They're, they're people who are still at the threshold or they've just recently retired about the next X number of years. Any thoughts, comments? Right. Well, as we look at interest rates rising, so in 1994, the average government bond dropped 30% because they raised interest rates so much in 1994. So bonds can be dangerous. If you're expecting that's where you're withdrawing for retirement from and it drops 30%, that we need to understand how much you have in cash to weather this recession, how much you have in bonds, how much you have in equities or stocks so that you can like not be pulling down out of bonds and stocks at this time and if, over the next couple of years. It's, it's very serious. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd be, you, you suggest they be heavier in equities. I, I didn't ask you about real estate. Well, I think, you, I think cash is a, a better, um, it, it won't help with inflation, yet you won't see another 10, 20, 30% drop in, in cash. I'm not saying move it all to cash right now. I'm just, I, we don't know until someone brings in a portfolio and you see if you're way overweighted in certain things. Technology is an example. That's done really well the last 10 years. It's not so the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. No, no. And it's not going to be the next 18 to 36 months. No. So, yeah, so it's assessing, you know, what what has done well, protect, and assess, like, how much cash is needed if someone's just about to retire and look at using cash to cover that instead of withdrawing when things are down. So what about real estate? Yeah, I, I mean, the wealthiest people I've dealt with in the last 30 years have all had real estate. So, Did the, they acquire their wealth largely with real estate? or It's been either businesses or, or real estate. Yeah. So if it's, are you talking about real estate as an asset or someone just has one piece of property? Or I, I'm or, thinking, uh, yeah, you're right, I wasn't clear. Uh, so not, not as a primary residence, but okay. people thinking, I, I run into people now who are thinking, gee, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday thinking about buying an Airbnb mm-hmm. in Appalachia yep. as an investment. He he talked to somebody, and in his case, he has like $700,000. But he uh, he made an offer. They had It had historical income of 100000 Now, that was gross. Right. So, you know, maybe half that he would net. But um, what do you think about people who look at those deals? I think it's going to look even better in a year or two. Like, so you don't see real estate plummeting? Meaning, I think, well, look at this chart where it shows from a two-something percent um, mortgage rate to a six-something percent mortgage rate. And if a cap rate is what a real, real estate investor can get on their property, I mean, it's so much higher interest rate cost now compared to where it was just a year ago, year and a half ago, that it's going to put pressure on some of those different um, Airbnb or the Furbo or the, all these different places or even just a, a rental house. Yeah. So there's going to be pressure, and will that cause the value to come down at some point? It already, the last two years of um, housing sales has decreased the last... Uh, this whole this whole year, but yet the price has not come down mm-hmm. yet. So not yet, I think it will at yeah. some you, point. But but you don't see a, a hopefully it's not a crash bubble. or anything like oh like wait yeah. yeah. I, no, I don't see that either. I don't either. I don't think it that we don't have the 
conditions on the ground for that. People in houses in which they're underwater or right. people who have bad credit scores. Um, there's a ton of equity in these houses. Right. And the supply that's on the market is so incredibly low. Oh, yeah. The inventory, Compared yeah. to the demand. So, so people, you need to sort through that whenever you're hearing, as you are daily, how something's going down with real estate. What's going down are the number of sales or you may see a longer waiting period to sell or or you may see that the time on the market before it sells has gone up. Those are all happening. But a lot of people hear something in the background and they think that what it said was that real estate prices are all declining. And so far, maybe somewhere in the country, but a small percentage. Yeah, right yeah, now. very small percentage of the place in the United States. Is there any devaluation yet at all in real estate? The question is, will it come to that? And and you may be right that there'll be a little bit of that. But if they keep raising interest rates, to I think they have to. They're in their mind. If they don't raise interest rates enough, like Paul Volcker did, went to twenty one percent in the seventies, that inflation will get so out of hand. So I think they're they're attempting to slow the economy down by raising interest rates. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I, I mean that's the only way I can put this together is yeah, that no. that's sense what they're of it. doing. It's a tried and true method. Yeah. Yes. And 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 it historically it's always worked, right? Right. So anyway, uh, Brenton, there's a ton of information you have for us here. I like it when somebody comes equipped with charts and graphs yeah. and detail, but that that's your nature is that you're a well, detail yeah. person. So uh, how much time do we have, Justin? Uh, just a few minutes. Okay. Oh. So we have okay. a couple of minutes. No, no. I want you to take uh, take uh, take the, the next couple of minutes. And we didn't talk about taxes. Any quick comment? Yeah. So one unique thing around the, the 25000 exemption, if you will, is I've been able to help certain retirees convert pre-tax dollars to tax-free dollars at at little to no tax. And do it using what method? Conversion, Roth conversion. I see. And we work with their accountant to figure out how much could they convert because of their exemptions to be able to, like the standard exemption, standard deduction, to be able to convert portions of their pre-tax IRAs or 401ks to Roth IRAs. In my mind, tax rates are going to have to go up based on the amount of debt that is in the system. So they'll have to raise interest, they'll have to raise tax rates. So the more we can diversify with pre-tax and tax-free dollars, in my mind, is is the better way to go. So, so like, when re- tax rates rise, we pull from tax-free assets. When they lower, we pull from tax, pre-tax Tax Buckets. arbitrage. Yes. Right. Mm. So anyway, uh, that's a good point to end on. Brenton, a wealth of information. We're going to have to do this again. Great. This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.